0: Welcome to the wicket. Yes, welcome indeed to the wicket, Arab News's uh, weekly digest of all things cricket from the Middle East, Asia, and the world. I'm Brian Murgatroyd, and with me, as usual. To chew things over, are John Pike, Arab News columnist, and uh, Arab News cricket reporter, Sebash Hammergain. Welcome, gentlemen. I hope all's well with you. Yeah, good morning.
1: Good day. Yeah, everything's all right.
0: Well, let's have a look at what we're going to be chatting about this time. Well, we'll look at the ongoing India against Australia men's 2020 international series, which has been a run fest so far. We reflect on Zimbabwe's struggles and Namibia's triumphs in the men's Africa T20 World Cup qualifier in Windhoek. Sebash takes us through the national T20 tournament in Nepal. We reflect on events in Pakistan and Sri Lanka as the fallout from failed Cricket World Cup campaigns continues. We preview the New Zealand-Pakistan women's 2020 internationals and one-day internationals in New Zealand. We chat about the merits of former West Indies batter Marlon Samuel's six-year ban from all cricket handed down by the ICC for anti-corruption code breaches. And we consider the ongoing IPL trading window as players are released or swapped ahead of the auction next month. So, as ever, lots for us to get our teeth into. Let's start off with some live cricket. India against Australia, the 2020 International Men's Series. India hosting Australia in five matches. And as we record this podcast on Wednesday, November the 29th, three matches are done and dusted already. India won the first two matches. Before Australia won the third on Tuesday. The series has been high scoring so far, with five of the six totals in the series topping 200 and 300s as well two for Australia through Josh Inglis and Glenn Maxwell, and one for India through uh, Ruttaraj Gaikwad. Australia are very much under strength, as we've discussed previously on this podcast and have been made even more so with the departures of Sean Abbott, Josh Inglis, who made a brilliant hundred in game one, Glenn Maxwell after his game three heroics, Steve Smith and Adam Zampa. Ben McDermott, who impressed in white ball action for Australia in Pakistan last year, as well as Josh Philippe, Ben Dorschus and Chris Green have stepped in for them. Sebastian. The key take-out from this series seems to be the showing the Indian uh, batting bench strength is uh, making in white ball cricket. Is that fair?
1: For sure, Brian. I think uh, the way these youngsters have played, I think India will be happy that their second-string side is ready to play in the higher level as well. And we saw these players playing in the Asian Games, which had weaker oppositions competing. But to do it against Australia and in this way, I think uh, it's uh, some task. Especially Rinku Singh, I think he has all but confirmed his place in the side as a finisher, even for the World Cup. He did, he does it consistently in the pressure situations as well. Uh, he started from the IPL with that uh, five success. And he's done it for the national team as well. And uh, he had to wait for long, but uh, all, all has been set up well for him. And it's not just Rinku. India have backup plans sorted for their uh, World Cup lineup, but it will be sad to see some of these players not making it in the main squad finally. But I think uh, India would be happy that these youngsters are getting such games.
0: John, for Australia, it's been a case of after the Lord Mayor's show to an extent following the World Cup, but you have to admire their chase in game three, don't you, with Glenn Maxwell and Captain Matthew Wade scoring 43 from the final two overs to win it. They're just indefatigable, aren't they?
2: They certainly are. I think there was always going to be an element of the Lord Mayor's show after the World Cup, but there are enough players with points to prove. The first match, India only won by two wickets with one ball left. Okay, they. They hammered the bowlers in the second one, but that recovery in the third is um, sort of typical Australian, never give up, and they didn't.
0: Yes, I detect as an Englishman there, you were saying that last bit through uh, gritted teeth, but uh, all the same, it was a very, very impressive performance from Australia to keep the series alive. Sebash, are there any lessons to be learned from this series that will he- help the selectors of either side? as we move towards the T20 World Cup next year?
1: right? I think we should not forget that India have IPL in April and May out of the World Cup in June and uh, I think these players should pop in the IPL to put their case for the World Cup uh, such has been the trend for India but uh, the takeaway I think uh, would be working on the bowling plans. I think standing skipper Surya Yadav has seen some decision not going his way, especially the death overs like we, see, we saw yesterday as well. Uh, they'll be hoping that Bumrah will be back to his best and uh, It'll be interesting if they will overlook uh, Sahil again. I think uh, Sahil is one outstanding spinner and uh, he's been performing well in domestic even though he's been overlooked in the senior side. But uh, there's IPL. I think Sahil will have an opportunity to have his say again and IPL performance will be a huge factor in the selection as well.
0: And John, it makes sense for Steve Smith in particular to head home with the Test Series against Pakistan starting as, as soon as December the 14th, doesn't it? I'm
2: not sure what's going on there. For Smith, it was supposed to be a chance to stake a claim to open the T20s. So you can hardly judge that on, on two matches. He scored, what, 52 and 19, which doesn't really help or or hinder. Uh, I think it may be more a case of you know, there does come a time to go home.
0: Yes, uh, I think there does. Uh, there's been a long time on the road for the Australians and uh, for some of them at least, That time has come to an end, whilst for others, there's still uh, a few matches to go. And uh, we'll, of course, uh, wrap up this T20i series in our next podcast. One other news line for you from India is that Raul Dravid, the India head coach, has had his contract extended. This follows India's performance in the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup, where the side won 10 matches in a row, only to lose to Australia in the final. Moving on now to the men's T20 World Cup Africa qualifier, and this has perhaps produced the biggest uh, cricketing story or at least the biggest cricketing upset of the week. Zimbabwe have been struggling to find their form in a tournament they were expected to cruise through. They were hammered in their opening match against Namibia, a performance coach Dave Houghton labelled as embarrassingly bad in quotes. But worse was to follow when they lost to Uganda by five wickets in their third match. As we record this podcast on Wednesday lunchtime, Namibia have already booked their place in the Caribbean and the USA by winning five games in a row. But Zimbabwe find themselves behind both Uganda and Kenya and need both of them to slip up in order to make it through themselves. A reminder, there are seven teams competing in Windhoek, the Namibian capital city, Kenya, Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda and Zimbabwe, and there are two spots up for grabs. John, I don't think any of us saw this coming, given the strength of the Zimbabwe squad selected for this tournament, including Sikanda Raza, who's captaining the side, Craig Irvine, Sean Williams, Tenda Chitara, Richard Engarava, Ryan Burr, Wellington Masakadza, Blessing, Musarabani. Surely this side uh, should have had plenty uh, to get through uh, this particular qualifier. It certainly should.
2: We didn't see it coming. A real shock. Um, Uganda turning out to be uh, a surprise package, a very surprise package, actually. But I, th- I think we can look at this as a, as another example of an associate member Sort of gathering strength um, through playing competitions and testing them uh, themselves um, to the limit.
0: Sebash, you've previously praised the rise of Uganda. I saw their promise in an under nineteen cricket World Cup as far back as two thousand and six. It's good to see Kenya as well, who've had some tough times since their World Cup semi-final appearance in 2003. They seem to be heading in the right direction again now. So it's good news all round, isn't it, for African cricket?
1: Indeed. uh, Uganda side, I think they have improved in recent years. And even for this tournament, they had uh, good preparation. Uh, They've been playing continuously for the past few months and the the team looks set. The tournament, I think uh, the preparation tournament against the Zimbabwe U25 side... So they drew the series 1-1 and the way they played it that win, I think it is no surprise that uh, they are doing this in these qualifiers as well. And they have some expats coming into the side in recent years, uh, which has helped to elevate the level of cricket. But uh, overall, I think Uganda's, not just the men's, but the women's side has been playing a lot of cricket and that has resulted in uh, these uh, good results. Uh, on Kenya, I think the, the previous ticket was very hard for them from competing against the Test Nations. They went down so fast. Uh, it was hard for new players to keep up that quality. Uh, even Nepal played them in 2017 in the World Cricket League Championship back then. And there's, they're not around us anymore. I think it's very hard for Kenya cricket. They're playing bilateral series continuously to help operate the tournament. And I think this World Cup spot could be a real game changer for them.
0: And John, for Namibia, that means they'll be playing in their third successive T20 World Cup. And remember, they reached the second round in 2021 in the UAE and Oman and only narrowly missed out doing the same last year in Australia, despite beating Sri Lanka in their opening match.
2: They're an impressive team. I don't think too many people have have heard of of many members uh, of that team. David Weiser and and Gerhard Erasmus are familiar names, plenty of experience. They seem to have blended well with some some local talent. Uh, And it's a very impressive um, set of of, uh, of results.
0: Well, we'll wrap up this tournament for you on our next episode, by which time we'll know whether Zimbabwe have uh, performed a miracle and managed to uh, reach the men's ICC T20 World Cup, or whether it'll be one of the other sides who'll be joining Namibia. Stay with us for that. Now, in the previous episode, Sebash mentioned he was looking forward to the domestic T20 tournament in Nepal with 12 teams divided into four groups and the best national players in action. As we record the podcast, the group stages are almost wrapped up with just the semifinals and final to be played. Sebash, what have been your takeaways from what's happened?
1: I think uh, we've seen some shocking results involving big teams this time. Nepal Police Club, the team with... Half a dozen national team players didn't make it to the semis on run rate. Uh, they played poorly in a game uh, and they crashed out. Uh, Kusal Vrutil, uh, the national team opener, made century in the first game, which Nepal Police Club won easily, but uh, they couldn't continue that in the second. And one bad game and they're out uh, on the basis of run rate. And the surprising thing, uh, or should I say one good thing that happened in this tournament is Sandeep Lamisani. He's playing for his local team for the first time in his career. Uh, he's played for the national team nearly seven years, but he's playing for the local side for the first time and he, he is leading the team, uh, taking the team to semifinal and maybe he can win it all. And he's got uh, under-16 and under-19 captain Reid Gautam backing him up with the bat, so I think uh, there's some positives to look forward as well.
0: And what have the crowds been like, Sebastian? Has the tournament been well organized and well received?
1: Uh, the tournament is being held in Pokra, uh, the mountains-esque uh, background uh, that that's been uh, talked about in world cricket. Uh, we we had the ICC Cricket World Cup uh, Trophy Tour in that ground as well. But uh, the ground is new, uh, they've been uh, elevating the standard of the ground. There's no uh, public seating, but uh, we've seen uh, some hundreds uh, coming in and watching the game. Uh, Pokhara is not famous for cricket, but uh, we're getting there slowly. And. Uh, uh, it's it's about the uh, tournament happening after all. Uh, the cricket association of Nepal is yet to uh, reveal their yearly calendar, so this tournament serves as uh, one of the preparatory tournament for the teams as there is no national team cricket uh, calendar for three months.
0: And Sebastian, is that venue one of the ones that's been earmarked? You mentioned previously on the podcast about. Uh... Uh, the number of uh, grounds being developed in nepal is that one of the ones that's been earmarked for development
1: uh, sadly the government has not put this ground in their priority but the cricket association of nepal uh, especially the secretary former captain paras khatka so he had his tournament uh, the pokhara premier league in there in that ground and they've uh, they've seen is uh, seen it as one of the um, uh, ground with more potential because of its background because of uh, the uh, area it is it's in the center of the city so i think uh, even though the government has not put it on the plants i think can uh, will be looking taking a very close look at it
0: as we speak there's a test match going on in silet between bangladesh and new zealand their first match towards qualification for the next cycle of the icc world test championship and this coming weekend We'll see the finals of the Women's Big Bash League in Australia. Also, the Abu Dhabi T10 tournament has begun. Start of a hugely busy period for short-form cricket around the world. Rather than chat about uh, those particular uh, tournaments and matches while they're ongoing, we'll wait until uh, all these events have uh, wrapped up and then we'll chew them over so that uh, you don't think that we're ignoring them. We're certainly not, but we will come back to them, I can promise you. Let's move on now to Sri Lanka, and there appears to be some light at the end of the tunnel in the standoff between Sri Lanka cricket and the Sri Lankan government, a standoff which has seen the cricket board suspended by the ICC, something that resulted in the ICC Under-19 Cricket World Cup being shifted to South Africa. Roshan Ranasinghe, the sports minister who wanted to remove the current board and replace it with an interim board run by former captain Arjuna Ranatunga, a move that prompted the ICC suspension, has been sacked by the Sri Lanka president, Rao Wickramasinghe. We don't know uh, whether that sacking had anything to do with the dispute with the cricket board. Remember, the ICC prohibits political interference in the governance of the game. John, what do you make of this situation? Are we seeing the end game of uh, this particular row now? It seems...
2: um... A bit deeper than just a matter of a, a cricket. The minister in question's been removed from his positions of Minister of Youth Affairs and Minister of Irrigation. Rather an odd portfolio, it seems to me. He did uh, make some accusations against the president in parliament uh, earlier in the week. I think there's a chance his second's not particularly motivated by the Sri Lankan Cricket Board suspension by the ICC. Uh, I think it's, it's part of a a wider issue and it all looks um, as if the the cricket bit of it might have been a convenient excuse.
0: Abash, do you foresee the ICC lifting the suspension anytime soon now that this sacking has taken
1: place? I think the political turmoil in Sri Lanka has been longstanding, uh, but for the good of cricket, I think uh, they should uplift the suspension. Uh, This was never government, but the minister on his individual interest causing the problem and... Maybe he never thought the gravity of decision would be this big. Uh, The president has taken the step finally, but uh, it's too late to save Under-19 World Cup being shifted to South Africa. ICC has softened the punishment with teams being able to play in other measures. So I think uh, lifting the suspension is the next step, but sad for Sri Lanka that Under-19 World Cup is not there anymore.
0: Let's look at Pakistan now and the fallout from the failure to qualify for the World Cup semi-finals continues. On the previous podcast, we chatted about Harris Routh's reported refusal to tour Australia for the upcoming three-test series. The fast bowler, who was uh, earmarked as uh, one of their key weapons in the absence of Nazim Shah, now it appears... The no objection certificate he needs to play for the Melbourne Stars in the Big Bash League in Australia has been delayed by the Pakistan Cricket Board. Officially, the reason is that the domestic T20 League is going on until December the 10th and the Pakistan Cricket Board wants Harris to stay and complete that assignment. But uh, the Melbourne Stars, they're due to play the opening match of the BBL on December the 7th. So that obviously creates an issue for both the Stars and Harris Routh at the PCB, Mohammed Hafiz, the, the new men's team director and chief selector, Wahab Riaz, are they making an example here of Harris to send a message to other players?
1: Uh, I think, uh, yes, there's been talk about Pakistan players not playing domestic cricket in recent years, but uh, I think there should be an exception for Harris Rauf because uh, his rise came through Melbourne Stars. so He was never around Pakistan's domestic cricket scene, or he was an unknown quantity in Pakistan, but it was Melbourne Stars that gave him. That opportunity and uh, Arista himself, I think, if it was for another league, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have gone for that. But uh, Melbourne starts, I think, he should. He holds uh, a different uh, space for uh, for his career being here. But I think for Pakistan, I think they they are doing it right because players like Sarfaraz Ahmad are playing in domestic cricket, but uh, a lot of national team players are not. Uh, their participation in domestic cricket will help the elevate the quality of tournaments and bring in maybe bring in more, more crowds and a sponsor that will ultimately help the board. So I think uh, pressurising the players to come and play domestic cricket, I think it's good for Pakistan cricket itself. Uh, but if they don't play domestic cricket and just want to play outside and get into the national team, it wouldn't be justice for the ones playing inside the country.
0: John, the message coming from Hafiz is Pakistan first and other leagues and commitments second. Is this too tough a line to hold in the modern era of uh, proliferation of leagues around the world or is it one that other boards could look to replicate?
2: From the outside, it looks um, too tough to me uh, given that Pakistani players are the ones least able to take advantage of other leagues. The message has a look of a recipe for dissent to me. Of course, India do it, but then they're immensely well paid. Uh, Several England players, of course, pull out of the IPL Balls have a very difficult job of juggling players, commitments and, and contracts. I think this is a looks like a particular uh, Pakistani issue. Is it a mistake
0: by Harris, do you think, to have taken this particular position, John?
2: I think time will tell on that one. I wouldn't like to go either way. I guess he could become a free agent.
0: But I guess on the other side of the coin, Sabash, will this approach by the PCB simply mean that fewer and fewer Pakistan players will sign central contracts?
1: Obviously, there may be some players doing so. But uh, if the player isn't helping elevate Pakistan cricket overall, the board will have to take such tough decisions. Players on the other end, I think they'll need to put their country first because it has always been domestic cricket and then the foreign leagues in other countries as well. Like India, I think we don't see any Indian players in franchise leagues until they've retired. Uh, not everyone is going to take that route, but uh, I think players should sort out their priorities. Uh, especially speaking about Rof again, I think uh, he's he played franchise league before coming to Pakistan team. Uh, so I think uh, he should not have issues Doing those, so uh, Pakistan cricket should have understood that as well in this instance. But I think once you are into the setup, uh, the players they should follow the directives.
0: Meanwhile, the Pakistan women's team are preparing for a series in New Zealand with 2020 internationals and one-day internationals. The latter forming part of the women's championship. And that one-day international series is vital. It's a subject we've touched upon previously here on the podcast. It's vital for both teams here as only six of the 10 teams in that championship get automatic qualification for the uh, ICC Women's World Cup in India, with those below the line facing the prospect of having to go through a qualifier. Pakistan are currently fifth, New Zealand are sixth, but New Zealand have played three fewer matches than Pakistan, in fact, All but one side below Pakistan have matches in hand on them. So especially after they lost the series to Bangladesh earlier this month, nothing less than a series win for Pakistan will surely be enough for the touring side to keep alive their hopes of an automatic berth in that World Cup. John, I just have a a little bit of a wry grin here because I, I wonder if the matches, they're being played exclusively on the South Island in Dunedin, Queenstown and Christchurch. That looks like clever scheduling to me by New Zealand, given its early season there. The average daytime temperature in Dunedin at the moment, as an example, is currently around 16 degrees. I don't think that'll be all that popular with the Pakistan players, will it?
2: I think it's probably more about spreading the venues out. And, of course, there are, these are very attractive places to play cricket. Those um, vistas ought to um, create a warmth amongst the players to overcome those um, temperatures. We think back to the World Cup in Dharamsala, when daytime temperatures there were forecast uh, at one point uh, for one of the matches to, to be seven degrees Celsius and um, actually improved to not much more than 15. So there are the when men's World Cup was faced with uh, a similar issue because um, complete um, variations in temperature between there and uh, what was experienced in both Mumbai and Delhi.
0: You're a tough man, John. Not cutting any <laughs> uh, any slack there for the Pakistan women. But, Sabash, what are you expecting from this tour? Can Pakistan upset the odds?
1: I think it's very tough for them. They couldn't perform well in favorable, favorable conditions in Bangladesh. And New Zealand, uh, as John and you mentioned, that uh, it's going to be even tougher. And uh, New Zealand themselves are eyeing to topple Pakistan in the points table, uh, even in the first two match on Tuesday. I think. Uh, Pakistan lost the ten wickets in thirty-second over with just one hundred and thirty-eight runs. They put two thirty-eight later, but uh, I think the early signs they'll struggle in this tour.
0: We'll stay across all that happens in this key series and update you in the next episode of the podcast. Now, off the field, former West Indies batter Marlon Samuels has been banned from all cricket for six years. For breaches to the ICC anti-corruption code. It relates to issues during the Abu Dhabi T10 in 2019. Samuels was charged in 2021 and found guilty by an independent panel in August of this year, with the news only now being released. Samuels was found guilty of accepting favours and concealing information from authorities. And the ban is backdated to November the 11th. The player last played international cricket, though, in 2018, and he retired in 2020. So the first question has to be, John, what is the point of this ban? Good question.
2: Shane Warne, I think, said that um, Samuels needed help. He famously had um, several exchanges with him, as indeed did Ben Stokes, rather uh, infamously. So Samuels has form. Uh, I think the surprise is it's, it's taken this long and it, it has the hallmarks of a of a, of a personal settlement.
0: And Sebastian, do you think it's just a case of the ICC punishing some low-hanging fruit here in the case of a player who's no longer actually playing the game?
1: Yeah, I think ICC should, should act fast in this case. Uh, here Samuels Samuel has retired and is no longer playing, but the case might be serious if these charged players are inside the game and influencing the play. Also, in some cases, players that are charged, uh, they wait for a long time for the verdict. I think uh, the investigation, that takes time, but the, I think uh, time period should lo- be looked upon for the good of cricket. Uh, ICC has got to keep the game clean, but uh, on the stick, uh, that they should keep in mind that these players are inside the game. And uh, the, I think that the actions should be done a bit faster.
0: Yes, I do know that um, there are difficulties, of course, for the ICC in prosecuting any case, because the one thing they're not is they're not a police force. They haven't got the powers of arrest. They haven't got the powers of uh, getting evidence in the way that a police organisation would do so. So it's not always um, as easy as it might seem. But, John, I just wonder, do you think this will act as a deterrent to other would-be corruptors and potential marks?
2: Um, not really. Sentence when retired that takes years to resolve, I think, is hardly a deterrent. You've just mentioned the, the background to um, the ICC's lack of teeth, really, in in, in this area. And they don't appear to be particularly proactive or not able to be particularly proactive with their anti-corruption code. That comes back to a question of, you know, does this punishment actually fit the crime? Does the ICC consider... So dancing with with bookmakers more culpable than, let's say, ball tampering, for which the sentences um, were um, less.
0: Yes, it's, uh, it's an interesting question, and uh, I'm sure it's one that we'll return to many, many times on this podcast in the future. Let's talk now about the Indian Premier League, because it's been in the headlines this week. The player trading window is open and will continue to be so until December the 12th, one week before the next IPL auction. Ahead of that auction, franchises have been announcing their retained lists and outlining the players they're releasing or are trading. Sebastian, what moves have caught your eye?
1: has to be Hadik Banda coming in and Cameron Green going out. Uh, RCB now have Green, Maxwell, Duplessis and Kohli in the batting firepower. Another thing I noticed is KKR, I think they've let go their Best attack, everyone including Lockheed Ferguson and Umesh Yadav as well. Sadhul Thakur has gone in and I think they're eyeing towards the auction. If uh, Pat Cummins comes in, they'll surely go all out for him. Also, Lucknow have let go Unat Kat. So he may be set for another big payday in the auction. In Mumbai, they finally released Jofra Archer. Punjab retaining Sikandar Raza is a good thing for us associates and Rashtan letting go Jason Holder for free and trading particle was a big surprise.
0: I just wonder, uh, Sebash uh, you talked about Hardik Pandya there being traded to the Mumbai Indians from Gujarat. Is that simply the, the cricketing equivalent of the English Premier League football with big teams? You know, Mumbai's arguably the biggest, getting the biggest players.
1: Mumbai, I think they've got a good deal here, but uh, they surely paid a 50 fee for this. Uh, With this, they have freed up overseas spot in that role and got a potential future captain along. I think Mumbai, they're a big team. The legacy they had with uh, Sachin and then Rohit Sama continued it and they needed someone to take over and I think Hardik uh, will lead the team for a long time with a lot of success.
0: John, Ben Stokes and Joe Root have stepped back from the IPL this season. Does that surprise you?
2: Not really. Neither of them made much of an impact last year. I don't think that Money is a, an issue for them, but fitness and longevity of uh, of play I think are issues. I can't imagine that they've not uh, discussed this um, together, given that they're, they're good mates. I think they're probably looking at this that um, England is more important than IPL, and um, the franchise themselves don't want passengers. They like um, big names because you know, they, it is Bollywood. I think bit, they need to be fair to to each other, the franchise and the players. When, whatever way you look at it, really, it's a tournament for for Indians with um, with
0: add-ons. Well, one of the add-ons, I guess, is uh, is Cameron Green. Players do have to give their approval to any trade that takes place. And Green, who was a success at Mumbai last season, he's moved to RCB as Sebastian mentioned a little earlier. Could he actually be the missing piece in the jigsaw that finally sees RCB win the IPL? <laughs> Green's become a bit of an enigma.
2: He's really underperformed since the IPL in, in earlier this year and he really needs to turn himself around. It does look like it's taken him a while to come to terms with the, the status that's been vested in him. I was struck by the level of awe which he showed when he was introduced to, to Tendoka. So clearly his feet are still on the ground. I think he needs time as far as RCB are concerned. They wanted to strengthen the middle order. They they looking for somebody with uh, the all-round abilities that Green has got. And, of course, um, securing him in this way stops him going to auction and somebody else snapping him up.
0: Indeed. Uh, MS Dhoni, he's listed again for Chennai. Sebash, should he and the franchise have finally caught time on his stellar career, or do you think he can still offer value off the back of a long break from competitive cricket.
1: Uh, Brian, I think this is the third season that we're saying this, uh, whether Dhoni should have played or not. But I think uh, Dhoni is still here. I was certain last year that uh, he'd um, it, it would be his last season, but... Uh... We saw what happened. He leads the team so well. A decade ago, we thought Dhoni will pass the bat into Raina. But here we are. Dhoni is leading the team, going strong, while Raina is nowhere to be seen. I, seen I tried it with Zadeza last time, but I think Dhoni's influence was too big in the team. And he had to come back and lead the team back. I think uh, this is the last of it. But uh, I have prepared myself not to be surprised if he continues next season as well. <laughs>
0: He just keeps rolling along, doesn't he, Uh, MS Dhoni? And we look forward to seeing him in the IPL in 2024. Well, we'll keep an eye on all the moves as they continue ahead of the auction and we'll assess the squads following that auction on December the 19th here at the Wicket. Just finally then, let's look ahead to what's in store for the next week. As always, gentlemen, what are your plans for the week cricket-wise and what are you looking forward to, uh, Sebastian? first of all?
1: I think I'm we're, waiting we're, we're watching for the blockbuster end of the series. I think Australia, the way they started the World Cup, they'll end this series as well with new youngsters coming up. I think they'll have a point to prove, not just for the Australian team, but they'll be have an eye on the IPL as well.
0: And of course, Sebastian, you'll have your eye on the conclusion of the Nepal T20 tournament as well.
1: Yeah, expecting some more surprises. Two province teams in the semifinals against big departmental teams. Uh, Sandeep Lamisani will be able to lift his first trophy as a captain.
0: And John, England in the Caribbean for white ball action. Uh, That series, I think, will have started by the next time we speak on the podcast. That's something to look forward to, to uh, warm you up on the cold uh, winter mornings.
2: Yes, I was a bit premature last week in starting to look forward to it. The first match is actually on December the 3rd in in Antigua. But um, your sentiments are, are spot on. Looking forward to that, if only to be able to look at something that looks like a warm place. Um, given the uh, forecasts for uh, temperatures and conditions that uh, uh, here for lo- locally here,
0: yes, uh, there's nothing I remember uh, better than uh, when cricket started to be broadcast from the Caribbean over 30 years ago, and being able to watch those lovely sunlit vistas while it was freezing cold outside in the UK. Well, thanks very much for joining us wherever you're listening to this podcast here at The Wicked. And we'll be back soon with more cricket chat from the Gulf region, Asia and worldwide. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment on all that you've heard wherever you get your podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to feature in future episodes. For now, though, this is Brian Murgatroyd, along with John Pike and Sebastian Hummergain, saying thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to your company next time.